and welcome to Little Things with Amber L.B. Swenson. Today's episode is called The Cover-Up. But first, let me tell you a little bit about me. I have been writing and teaching Bible studies for the past 15 years. I've worked with women, youth, Sunday school. I've been blogging for Time of Grace since 2017. I've written two books for them. Really what you need to know is that I love the Lord, and I love the Word of God, and I find that the deeper I go into the Word of God, the more astounded I am that He loves us and that He notices us and that He cares so deeply about our lives. And my role is really to get people into the Word and to show them how awesome it is and to really get them to a place that they want to know and love God more. That's kind of my mission in life in a nutshell. And I am so ridiculously excited about this episode. And believe it or not, it is about repentance. (laughs) I just love the quotes. There were so many good quotes that I really struggled to narrow it down. I think I kept it down to four, but they are absolutely fabulous. But um, anyway, by the end of this episode, we're going to go through these amazing quotes. And I'm also going to give you the three steps that we can all take to turn turn to repentance instead of just covering up our sins. So um, let's just get started. First of all, I want to say that um, by nature, our sinful nature, we are more prone to covering up our sin than we are to actually turning and repenting of it. So you see this all the way in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve broke God's command to not eat of the tree of um, um, good and evil, and they ate from it. And what did they do? When they heard God coming into the garden, they hid. That is our natural sinful response anymore. When we um, fall into sin, we are more prone to covering it up than we are to actually admitting that we have a problem, admitting that we're doing wrong, and turning in repentance from our sin. So not long ago, um, I had an incident occur that just illustrates this perfectly. So my children have to turn in their phones every night before they go to bed. And um, it's not unlike me. I don't snoop, but they know that I have access to their phone. And occasionally I look through them, just see what's going on, see who they're in contact with, and kind of get the gist of what's going on behind the scenes. So I had an issue with something that I saw on one of my children's phones. And so I confronted the child, and um, when they turned in their phone (laughs) that night, they had wised up, and they turned all notifications off so that I couldn't see what was coming through their phone. And I thought, this is exactly what we are all prone to doing with sin. When someone catches us sinning, we cover it up. So I have been struggling with my weight in the last couple months. But, you know, really my whole adult life, I'm sort of up and down and up and down. And um, so if I'm eating a cookie and my husband comes in, what do I do? I either stuff it all in my mouth or I turn around or (laughs) whatever, like as if he doesn't know 
how I'm gaining weight or how this is happening. You know, it's not a big shock and surprise to him. And, um, you know, if you've followed any of my previous writings, you know that um, my house has always been sort of an issue with me. I'm not necessarily a great housekeeper. I have gotten tons better in the last two to three years, especially. And I try to keep my house so that I'm not completely and totally embarrassed when there's a knock on the door. But I'm not going to lie. 10 years ago, when my kids were little, my house was a wreck. And even um, since then, there have been many, many times that I have had conversations with neighbors on the front steps because I was too embarrassed to invite them in. And I'm trying really hard to work on that to get um, to the point that I just am good with anybody coming in at any time because I just see how hospitality is such a good way to be able to give advice to people and to listen to people's problem and to share your life with them. So I see that this is something that I really want and that my children really want now that they're teens, they want their friends over. And um, and so it's become an important thing for me to try to keep my house clean, but I'm not going to lie. Many times when that knock came on the door, <laughs> all I wanted to do is hide and pretend like no one's home so that, you know, nobody would see my mess. And so I think that's a very normal response to our issues, to the sin that we're dealing with. And I'll be the first to admit, there was sin involved with my house being a mess. I was not a good steward. Um, We had way too much stuff. So when my kids were little, people would give me their hand-me-downs and I'd find them cute. And so I'd keep them. Well, guess what? We had so much stuff that a lot of times I was taking care of all these clothes that my kids didn't even wear half of them by the time they outgrew them. And so, you know, I was washing them. And at that time, I was still ironing. So I was ironing them and um, trying to keep them up. And and our drawers were stuffed and our closets were stuffed. And we had things overflowing and um, way too many toys and way too much of everything. And so um, there was sin involved on, on my side of it. And so, there, you know, it wasn't just a weakness, but it was actually poor management on my behalf. And I had to come to the point of realizing that God blesses us with all these things. That doesn't mean that we're to keep it all. We're to keep what we can use, and then we keep passing it on to the next person so that they can use it. And um, and again, I realized that relationships suffer when I can't have people in my house. So that's not really what I want. And so anyway, the natural tendency seems to be the cover-up. Remember Cain and Abel? Cain killed his brother Abel. And afterwards, God says to him, where's your brother? And he says, what? Am I my brother's keeper or what? Why are you asking me? Again, that sort of cover up instead of just immediately admitting it. Same with David. When David was confronted, Nathan came to him and told him this story about this man who had one little lamb. And his neighbor had some guests coming into town. And instead of taking his lamb to cook for a meal. He took the man's one little lamb. Now you would have thought that when Nathan came to David, who had committed adultery and then killed the woman's husband, when David saw the prophet Nathan coming his way, you would have thought 
David would have said, you know what, Nathan, I've done something really, really rotten and I feel terrible about it, but he didn't. It took the story and he didn't even realize the story was about him until Nathan confronted him. So it's our natural tendency. Adults do this every bit as much as children do. Surprisingly, in my own adult life, I have had this happen where I confronted somebody with something that they put on Facebook and their response was to block me from Facebook, (laughs) from their page, as opposed to actually confronting the sin. That's happened more than once, by the way. Not that I go around confronting people about Facebook posts unless they're in a position of Christian authority where I think, Um, You represent Christ, and do you really want to put this on your Facebook? Anyway, um, so what should our response be to sin? So when God comes to Adam and Eve, what would have been the better response? Instead of them hiding, they could have said, you know what, God, we did exactly what you said we shouldn't have. When God came to Cain, Cain could have said, "Um, where's Abel? Well, he's in the field dead (laughs) because I killed him. Um, So clearly when it comes to sin, we're going to have choices to make. And the choice is going to be if we are going to be teachable or if we're going to remain in our sin and just become better at covering it up. Like I said, multiple, multiple excellent quotes on this subject. So the first quote comes from Thomas Carlyle, and he says, Of all acts of man, repentance is the most divine. The greatest of all faults is to be conscious of none. If, so in other words, <laughs> if you think that you're not wrong, That's the greatest of all faults. If you think that you never do anything wrong, you are not much fun to live with. You are not much fun to work with, or you are not fun to be in your church. (laughs) And that happens more often than we would like. Do you know how many times I have spoken to women who have been kicked out of the kitchen in their church by the older women who will not let them in, who don't want them knowing the secrets of the church or whatever? Now, Is that all churches? No, but there are some. There are some. There are families that one person, whether it's the wife or the husband, man, that person is never, ever wrong. And everybody knows not to cross that person because if you do, you will suffer the consequences. That is completely and totally wrong. We're all sinners. We all fall short. No one lives a perfect life. That was done once by Jesus. And since we're not Jesus, we are going to sin. We are going to do things the wrong way. We are going to jump to conclusions. We are going to hurt people's feelings. And what should we do when that happens? We should repent. What, by the way, is repenting? The word repent means to turn. So it means to turn away from that sin, to not keep going down that same path. Um, One of my children said to me recently, I only hear you say negative things instead of positive. 
And I said, okay, thank you. I needed to hear that. And I am making a point to send this child texts that say, hey, I noticed you did this today. Thanks so much. Or to really make a point to say to this child something when I catch them doing something good. Words of affirmation, clearly this child's um, love language. And so when this child made me aware of it, I want to make sure to do what this child needs me to do. And now, am I that way with everything? No. Like I said, it took me years and years and years to come to the conclusion that um, I was the one responsible for my house being clean. I'd like to say that that happened overnight. It didn't. Um, and again, like I said, my weight, it goes up, it goes down, it goes up and it goes down. And I'm an emotional eater and I'm a stress eater. And so, you know, I struggle. So I don't turn immediately every time, but I'm trying to get there. Okay, Corey Ten Boom. I love Corey Ten Boom. She wrote The Hiding Place. Um, if you haven't read it, please check it out. That is a must read for any Christian. It will take you in immediately. It is so well written and such a story. If anyone can talk about repentance and forgiveness, it's Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom said, four marks of true repentance are one, acknowledging of wrong. Two, willingness to confess it. Those are two different things. <laughs> to acknowledge you did wrong and then to actually say, no, it was me. I did it. And then three, willingness to abandon it. And four, willingness to make restitution. So not just to not ever do it again, but to make up for whatever went wrong. So there are times that you can't really replace what was hurt. When when you break somebody's toy, you can replace it. When you hurt somebody's heart, it's going to be a much longer process. But I think the point that Corey Ten Boom is making is that it's our job to start that restoration process. When we have done something, when we have severed a relationship, when we have hurt somebody terribly, it's our job to start that restoration process. And it may take years, but we need to at least acknowledge what we've done wrong and start working in the right direction and then pray that God blesses it. William Taylor said this, true repentance hates the sin and not merely the penalty. Oh man, amen. So do you remember when Cain and Abel, again, back to the book of Genesis, Cain murders his brother Abel. God says, because of this, you're going to be a wanderer on the face of the earth. And Cain throws a fit, an absolute fit. This is more than I can bear, he says. He is so upset, not about the sin. He's upset because he got caught and there's a penalty to his sin. And the funny thing is, as you read on in Genesis, so God said, you know, okay, it's more than you can bear. And Cain said, people will, are going to kill me. So now he's worried about his life. He wasn't worried about Abel's life. Um, and so God said, no, I'll put a mark on you. And it means that if anybody kills you, you, they'll be avenged, um, seven times. And as we, um, as we read the genealogy in the book of Genesis, we find that five generations later, Cain has a descendant who kills somebody and he uses Cain as his excuse. He said, if if vengeance would come on someone who killed Cain seven times, then vengeance will come on the person who kills me 77 times. 
So again, not willing to accept the blame, not willing to accept the punishment, just worried about the penalty. So going on with the William Taylor quote, it says, um, true repentance hates the sin and not merely the penalty and it hates the sin most of all because it has discovered and felt God's love. And that gets to the heart of it. Really, when we sin, we hurt God. Not that God can be hurt in terms of, you know, that we can actually do something um, that would, you know, damage him. Well, we can damage his reputation as Christians when we uh, do things, but we're hurting his heart. He's somebody who loves us. And as a parent, this becomes abundantly clear. When you pour yourself into your child and they get to the point in life where they think they could do better without you, and they're saying, I hate you. I don't want anything to do with you. It hurts your heart. It hurts you a lot. And so as children of God, we certainly want to keep that in mind when it comes to God too and to sin. Robert Smith said, true repentance has a double aspect. It looks upon things past with a weeping eye and upon the future with a watchful eye. I think this past, this quote is so important because let's face it, we are prone to certain sins. And I can't just clean my house once and that's it because I am prone to not being a good housekeeper. And I don't just lose weight once and then I'm, I'm good. I, it is something that is a struggle and for both those things all the time because I'm prone to doing it and I'm easily distracted. I wish that wasn't the case, but I am so easy to distract in so many ways. So um, I love that idea that repentance has to do with being watchful to not fall into temptation again. Isn't that what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane to his disciples? Watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. It's an active thing. If we have struggled with a sin once, we do have to be watchful that we don't fall right into it again. So I absolutely love those quotes. I hope they meant something to you too. Our three steps for repentance. One, be gracious enough that when people approach you, um, when you're in the wrong, you don't devour them. So that's an important thing. If you constantly think that you're right, and if you devour anybody who confronts you, people are going to quit confronting you, right? And like I said, none of us are perfect. We are all sinful. So that means if people are afraid to confront us, it's because we have in the past made it so unbearable for them that they don't want to go through that again. So number one, be approachable. Two, learn to say I'm sorry. Sincerely, from the heart, completely. Saying I'm sorry you feel that way is not an apology. That doesn't cut it. A true apology is sincere. It has listened to the other person, the pain inflicted upon it, and says I am sorry. I have sinned. I am sorry that I've made you feel this way, that I've done this to you. Number three, ask for help 
moving forward. When someone comes to you and says, you know, when you did this, it really hurt my feelings, and you apologize, be big enough to say, if I do that again, can you come back and let me know? Or if I start using that tone with you, could you just give me a little tap on the shoulder or a a little sign so that I remember that that's not okay? Help me to be accountable. You know, Jesus said in Luke 3, 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That means true repentance should be noticeable. There will be fruit from true repentance. You are not going to keep living the same life that you've been living. There will be a noticeable change. The fruit of repentance is a changed life. It's a changed heart. It is doing things differently. And it's not becoming better at the cover-up. Oh Lord, help us all to be better at repenting, at turning from our sins and turning to you to do things better. This has been Little Things because in God's kingdom, the little things are the big things. Thank you as always for keeping time of grace in your prayers and for remembering us with your financial contributions. 